imagine, in the dim light of an old museum, a doll sits quietly behind glass. But this is no ordinary doll. This is Annabelle, a vessel for something dark, something ancient. A young man, skeptical and bold, challenges the silent figure, tapping on the glass that separates him from what he believes is just a child's toy. His laughter fills the room, a sound soon to be silenced. As he leaves, mocking the warnings given, the night takes a sinister turn. On a quiet road, the same young man, still scoffing at the tales of Annabelle's curse, loses control. The motorcycle veers, a sudden, inexplicable swerve, and in an instant, everything changes. A crash, a life lost, a companion injured, all in the shadow of his defiance against a doll said to house a demon. This is not just a story, it's a warning, a chilling reminder of the power that lies within Annabelle. From her ominous presence in a small apartment, unsettling those who dare come close, to the terrifying encounters that led her to be locked away behind sacred glass, each moment builds upon the last, a crescendo of fear and intrigue. But the tale doesn't end with a crash. It continues within the walls of the Warrens Museum, where even now Annabelle's presence is felt. Levitations, spectral cats, and inexplicable movements haunt those who guard her and those who dare visit. A priest, unafraid, challenges her power, only to face consequences that confirm the fears of many. This is the legend of Annabelle, a story woven from events too strange to be anything but true, inviting you to question the line between the physical and the paranormal. What forces truly reside within the glass case of this infamous doll? Stay, and you might just find out. Welcome back to another episode of Retraced Echoes, where we dig deep into the unknown. As always, my name is Bert, and I'll be your guide in the journey to the paranormal. Today, we're looking to a story that's intrigued the imagination the fears of many around the world. A story that blurs the line between the material and the mystical. As you know from the intro, we're talking about Annabelle, the doll that's become synonymous with supernatural lore. In today's episode, we're going to step through the looking glass into a story that begins with a simple gift and spirals into a saga filled with mysterious messages, eerie occurrences, and chilling encounters. From the doll's humble beginnings to its place behind protective glass in a museum, we'll explore how Annabelle became one of the most talked about objects in the world of paranormal. Now let's delve into the mysterious world of Annabelle behind the glass. Now for many of us, a doll represents a certain childhood innocence. It's a companion in play as well as in imagination. However, the story of Annabelle, it challenges those thoughts. It introduces us to a reality where objects can carry energies and entities beyond our comprehension. Now, as we explore the origins and the eerie occurrences associated with Annabelle, we will journey into a narrative that is just as much about the supernatural as it is about the human experience. This doll, with its deceptively simple appearance, embodies the often unsettling encounters between what we know and what we think we know. Our story begins in the year of 1971. We find a mother looking for the perfect gift. Now, it wasn't just any occasion that she was shopping for. It was a milestone for her daughter, Donna. Donna was about to celebrate her 28th birthday, a day that was also around the graduation from nursing school. Now, Donna had spent countless hours studying 
attending classes and participating in clinical rotations, all while sharing a small apartment with their best friend and fellow nursing student, Angie. Now their apartment, though it was small, was perfect for the two young women. It was a place where they could unwind after long shifts at the hospital, as well as late night study sessions. Now Donna's mother, she wanted to give Donna a gift that would remind her of days where things were a little bit easier. Memories that would maybe provide some sort of comfort while she was navigating this new life. Now Donna's mother found herself in a hobby shop and she slowly searched through the aisles, her eyes scanning each one of the items. Now each item had its own story, but not quite fitting for the story that she wanted to tell. That was until she saw it. It was an antique Raggedy Ann doll. The doll had a certain charm to it and it would be the perfect gift. Something that would put Donna's mind in a better place. Now imagining the smile on Donna's face, she knew that she had found that perfect gift. Little did she know that this seemingly innocent choice would soon unravel a story far beyond the ordinary. A story not just of celebration and new beginnings, but a story that would go into the realms of the unexplained and the terrifying. Now after Donna received the Raggedy Ann doll from her mother, her memories flooded back to those carefree days when she was a kid. There was something about it that just seemed to melt the stress away. And the doll, it became a cherished presence in the apartment, symbolizing not only a beloved chapter in Donna's past, but also serving as a beacon of comfort as well as nostalgia as she stepped into her new role as a nurse. Now Donna and Angie, they started settling into their new lives. It was a balancing game of the nursing career as well as the comforts of home. And Donna, she wanted to add a fun little routine into their morning. So she started introducing the antique Raggedy Ann doll into their morning routine. One morning, she sat the doll at the kitchen table, telling Angie that the Raggedy Ann would be joining them for breakfast. Now this became a very cherished part of their routine. Now at a minimum, it was a moment of laughter that the two women could enjoy and look forward to. With the added stress of their careers, it was something that lightened the mood in the apartment and they needed this. Now the tradition continued, the doll becoming a third member of their breakfast club. On the third day of doing this, they had their usual banter and even directed some of the conversation towards Raggedy Ann. Then, out of nowhere, something extraordinary happened. The doll seemingly came to life. Raggedy Ann's arms lifted and placed themselves on the table. They were completely taken off guard. Did they just see what they thought they saw? Were they both just exhausted from the late nights and the hard work? That they thought they saw something that they didn't see? Both had seen this out the corner of their eyes, and both women looked at each other with a mixture of fear as well as confusion. Angie trying to break the tension in the room suggested that maybe they needed to conduct a seance with Raggedy Ann. Now Donna, she was just smiling, but she was still thinking about what she thought she saw. Now since they both thought that there was more to all of this than just their imagination, they both made a pact to keep a very close eye on the Raggedy Ann doll. Donna started leaving the doll in the living room on the couch every morning, and every night going forward, the doll would be waiting to welcome them home after their grueling shifts at the hospital. Now as the days turned into weeks, 
Donna and Angie started noticing that the Raggedy Ann doll was not exactly where they left it. Regardless of how they arranged her in the morning, they would return to find the doll in a very different position. The arms and legs, once neatly placed by her side, would now be found crossed or outstretched. Her body previously facing the room would now be turned towards the wall. Now at first, the phenomena was dismissed as pranks between the two of them. They thought maybe the other one was just pulling a relatively crude prank on the other. This was something that scared both of them, but they wasn't going to admit this to the other. It wasn't until their shifts started aligning that they noticed that even though they were both leaving at the same exact time and they were both coming home at the same exact time, that the doll was still moving subtly. They both knew that it would be impossible for the other one to do it. And as time went on, the doll became more bold in its actions. Raggedy Ann was no longer just shifting positions on the couch, but was found in completely different spots in the room. Now the doll's movements, they were undeniably deliberate. Now, as time went on, the doll became more bold in its actions. Raggedy Ann was just no longer shifting positions on the couch, but it was found in completely different spots in the room. The doll's movements, they were undeniably deliberate. But what was moving the doll? Donna and Angie was left to ponder the unsettling reality that something, or someone, was influencing the doll's movements. Now, the mystery with Raggedy Ann intensified one morning when Donna, who was running late for a shift, scrambled to get ready. As she rushed out the door, she forgot and left her bedroom door open. Now, the Raggedy Ann doll, it was left on the couch as it always was. That evening when she got home, Raggedy Ann was no longer on the couch. Instead, the doll was found in Donna's bedroom, and the door, it was now mysteriously closed. Now, no one had access to the apartment during the day, and there was no one there that could have moved the doll or to have closed the door. Donna and Angie's theories ranged from forgetfulness all the way to thinking that someone might have broken into their home. Out of pure fear, Angie turned to Lou, her fiancé, for help. Now, Lou started to spend more time at the apartment, occasionally staying over while Donna and Angie worked the evening shifts the events, they were still happening. Lou being there didn't really seem to stop anything. There was never a sign of forced entry, and at this point, for the protection of the women, Lou made the decision to just move in. It was no secret that Lou hated that Raggedy Ann doll. He felt as though that doll was somehow moving itself around the location. But Donna was attached to her doll, and though she questioned things, she couldn't believe that a doll was doing this all on its own. It doesn't make sense. About one month after the doll made its home inside the apartment, eerie messages wrote in a childlike writing was found on parchment paper around the apartment. The notes were always pleading for help and directly talking about Lou. The scariest part of all this was they didn't have parchment paper in that apartment. Now, the messages would say things like, Help me help us, and even on occasion, help Lou. Now at this point, Angie, she was freaked out. 
She went to Lou and asked him straight up, hey, are you writing these messages? Lou was shocked. He had told them on numerous occasions that there was something going on with that doll and now he is being accused of these notes. Now Lou, he denied that he had anything to do with these notes. He also insisted that he knew that that doll was responsible. He was constantly telling them to get rid of the doll, that it was evil. But all that did was cause tension in the house. After all, it was only a doll. Now a little bit of time went on, and again, as it had happened before after returning home from work, Donna found the doll in a very unexpected location, her bed. Now usually when this would happen, it would scare her obviously a little bit, but she would rationalize it and act like it just wasn't a big deal. But this time, things were a little different. An intense wave of fear and dread washed over her as she approached the doll to move it off the bed. Now bracing herself, Donna reached to pick up the doll only to discover a sight that would scare her beyond words. Red stains were found on the back of the doll's hands and three distinct drops on his chest. Being a nurse, she knew that this was no mere stain. It was blood. The sight was so shocking that Donna's immediate reaction was to flee, leaving the doll behind as she ran out of the room. Now she waited for Angie to return home, and that was agonizing. But eventually, Angie returned only to find Donna scared to death. Now Donna, she tried to explain what she found. First she was shocked that the doll was on her bed, but that had happened before. In addition to that, this time, she found blood on it. Now Angie, she was a realist, though the things that was going on with the doll, they were a little bit weird. This was just too unbelievable. She tried to downplay the situation, suggesting rational explanations. So she walked with Donna back into the room. She picked up the doll and she looked at it. It was obvious that there was something abnormal. And honestly, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Angie proposed a solution that until now had seemed too far-fetched to consider. Maybe it was time to consult a psychic medium and as quickly as they could find a medium that would be willing to come and try to make sense of what was going on with the apartment, they did. The psychic medium walked around the apartment. Obviously, she was picking up information from the other side. Next, she studied the doll, and there was only one thing left to do. Conduct a seance, a practice aimed at communicating with the spirits. Now, during the seance, the story of what was going on came to light. The medium said that the entity that was attached to the doll was a young girl named Annabelle Higgins. Now Annabelle, she was a very happy little girl. She used to love to play in the fields surrounding her home. But tragically, her life was cut short at the age of seven. Her body was discovered in the very spot that would later become the foundation of the apartment that Donna and Angie called home. The medium said that the reason that Annabelle's spirit was attached to the doll was that she was looking for a safe place to stay and to feel the love of a good home. Now, following the seance and the medium's revelations, Donna and Angie found themselves at a crossroad. 
the spirit of Annabelle Higgins, as mentioned by the medium, expressed a certain fondness for them, a desire to remain in their presence. But this was scary. But this was also in their eyes a seven-year-old girl that just wanted love in a place that they could feel safe. Now, despite their initial fear, the medium assured them that Annabelle meant no harm. It was this reassurance coupled with Donna's deep-seated attachment to the doll. Again, this was a gift from her mother, also a link to her childhood. But that swayed their decision. With a mixture of both courage and compassion, Donna and Angie chose to allow the doll, with the attachment of Annabelle's spirit, to stay with them. They felt sorry for the little girl. Now the doll, once just an ordinary childhood keepsake, had now become a vessel for a spirit whose story was intertwined with her own. Donna and Angie's decision to embrace Annabelle's presence led them down a path of unconventional caretaking. They extended kindness and compassion towards the spirit that they believed was inside the doll. They started treating the doll like a real little girl. Annabelle was not just sitting on top of a shelf. She became a part of their daily lives in an attempt to provide comfort and companionship to the spirit of Annabelle Higgins. Now they would take Annabelle on things such as car rides. They would dress her in new clothes, even give it jewelry to which the doll would then wear. Now these acts, they were symbolic of a manifestation of their willingness to accept Annabelle as a part of their family. Their hope was that by treating her with the love that they would give to a living seven-year-old little girl, they could ease the loneliness of the spirit inside the doll. Now, despite their efforts to normalize Annabelle's presence and show her affection, the situation remained full of tension. Each unexplained movement of the doll, each mysterious note that appeared, served as a reminder of the supernatural elements that was at play. Now, these events... They were far from being comforting for the two women. It only caused tension in the home. As time within the apartment went on, other things started to happen. The once quiet apartment started to have unexplained knocking noises. These were extremely unsettling. Nights were disrupted by flashing lights without a source. And while they would lay in bed, they would feel the sensation of their beds rocking and shaking This was beyond terrifying. Then they began to hear whispers in the halls. The climax of these events reached a peak one night when they returned home after a long day at the hospital. Donna and Angie, now at the door, slid the key into the keyhole. They pulled the key out and they turned the knob. As they opened the door, their eyes fixated on a scene that would forever be etched in their memory. There on the floor, right in front of them, standing on its own, was the Raggedy Ann doll, as though it was waiting on them to come home. This sight was shocking to both of them. They let out a scream and they called for Lou. Now following this scary encounter, Donna and Angie's approach towards Annabelle underwent a drastic change. The doll now was a source of dread, and it was left untouched, allowed to remain wherever she was found at the end of the day. The medium had said that the doll had no interest in scaring the women, that it was friendly, 
but that was very unlikely. The kinder that Don and Angie were to Annabelle, the more intense and frightening the phenomenon of the apartment became. Their attempts to include Annabelle into their lives with affection only seemed to amplify the activity. Knocking sounds now became a very common occurrence, not just isolated incidents, but a constant unsettling backdrop to their daily lives. The flashing lights and the shaking beds at night it added a layer of fear and distress transforming their home from a place of refuge into a source of continual anxiety. Lou's skepticism and discomfort for the doll had been constant from the very beginning. In fact, since day one. And after he moved into the apartment, he was constantly dealing with nightmares, which he couldn't shake off as just a mere coincidence. If anything, to him it seemed as though it was an indication that there was a malevolence with Annabelle. Lou's most chilling experience occurred on the eve of a planned road trip for him, Angie, and Donna. That night when he went to bed, he woke up to find himself in a state of paralysis. Out the corner of his eye, he saw a short entity that was inching towards him on the bed. This was terrifying. Couldn't move. His arms and his legs were pinned down. Couldn't scream. He couldn't speak. All he could do was watch in fear, unable to react. As the entity got closer, he saw it. The red yarn hair, big eyes, and a triangle nose. The entity was the Raggedy Ann doll. The sight of Annabelle moving towards him in the dim light of the room would have been enough to instill fear in anyone. But what followed was far beyond a simple scare. The entity was now at the foot of the bed. He now felt something crawling up the end of the bed. Now it was crawling up his body. As he felt the hands wrapping around his neck, he could see the red yarn hair. He thought to himself, this is where I die. He couldn't fight off the attack. He couldn't cry for help. And then, darkness. That morning, Lou woke up in a cold sweat. He was yelling, ready to fight. He was confused. Did he pass out? Was it all maybe just a nightmare? The tension of everything that was happening, he thought maybe it was finally getting to him. As he went to the bathroom with all these questions in his mind, he would find the answers in the mirror. As Lou looked in the mirror, there on his neck was the imprint and slight bruising of hand marks. It was proof that it was not his imagination. He did not dream all this. This incident marked a turning point for Lou, Angie, and Donna. The physical manifestation of harm, something that they had been assured was impossible, shattering any remaining illusion of safety and control over the situation. Now Lou, he demanded to leave the apartment immediately. This was not out of fear but the realization that the entity that they were dealing with was far more dangerous than they had been led to believe. In the tense hours following the attack on Lou, the apartment was anything but a place of calm. The atmosphere was charged with fear and urgency. Lou was still reeling from the physical evidence of Annabelle's assault. How confusing would that be for anyone to understand? 
and he was determined to leave to put the distance between themselves and whatever malevolent force had been attacking them. With a newfound sense of purpose, Lou spread out the map before him in the living room. The road trip which they had planned to be a leisure escape now became an escape from the terror that invaded their lives. Angie and Donna agreed they had to leave. At any point, anyone could become a target. All of a sudden, there was a noise, and it came from Donna's room, the very space that had become the epicenter of their haunting. What was that? Donna said. The door to Donna's room was closed, a barrier that seemed to offer very little protection against unseen forces that was at play. But Lou heard the noise too. He gets up and he approaches the door, driven by a mixture of fear and the need to protect. Now the memory of the recent encounter with Annabelle, it was vivid and terrifying, soaking every inch of his memory. Lou throws open the door and he reaches for the light switch. Now Lou was met with the familiar yet unsettling sight of Donna's room. He walked to the window. It was closed and locked. He methodically walked around the room, noticing nothing that was out of place. The room appeared to be untouched, all except for the doll. Annabelle was laying face down in the corner. Now, Lou walks to the bed. Could someone be under the bed? I think this is the fear of every child. Lou gets down on both knees. He puts a hand on the bed and he slowly looks under. Nothing. As Lou wondered what that source of the noise could be and the weird placement of the doll, he felt it. He was being watched. He knew that someone or something was sizing him up. Lou spun around to confront whatever was watching him, but he found nothing but an empty room behind him. In a moment of defiance, perhaps driven by fear frustration, Lou walked over to the doll. He picked up Annabelle and he shook her. You're nothing but a rag doll. You can't hurt anyone. This act of confrontation, however, it provoked something immediately. Lou experienced a sudden sharp pain on his chest. It was as if he was scratched or clawed by an unseen entity. Now Lou's chest it had deep claw-like marks, seven distinct wounds in total. Three of them, they were vertical. Four were horizontal. Now these wounds, they were not superficial, but they were severe enough to cause bleeding as well as immediate physical discomfort. The nature and appearance of these wounds suggested a violent encounter with an entity possessing a sinister force, far beyond any normal or explainable cause. They immediately left the apartment. There was no need to plan. They had to leave. The incident with Lou marked a turning point, compelling them to seek a resolution that extended far beyond their own capabilities. If they was indeed dealing with a little girl's spirit inside the doll, they wanted to make sure they got it to the other side. They also needed to have their apartment back, a place that they could feel safe. With those thoughts heavy in their mind, they reached out to Father Hegan, a local priest. They explained everything that had happened, as well as the medium. 
and what the medium had said. Father Hegan knew that he would need to go higher within the church, so he sought the advice of Father Cook, a figure of higher authority within the church with much more experience in the supernatural. Now together as they spoke, they knew that they would need someone that was experienced in the supernatural, and who better to call than Ed and Lorraine Warren. As the Warrens entered the residence, it marked a significant turning point in Donna, Angie, and Lou's understanding of the phenomena that they had experienced. The Warrens brought a very different perspective that challenged the previous narrative provided by the medium. You see, Ed and Lorraine immediately said that the medium was incorrect. When it came to the spirit of the little girl named Annabelle Higgins, she was not behind the strange occurrences. They proposed a more sinister explanation. The presence within the doll, it was not human. It was inhuman. An evil entity with the capability to attach itself not just to objects, but also to places as well as to people. The entity was impersonating the spirit of Annabelle Higgins to deceive as well as to manipulate. They clarified a very critical point. Spirits of deceased, they do not possess any objects like dolls. Such phenomena was typically the work of demons seeking a more significant, a more vulnerable target. They knew that the demon needed a living human host. Now, as Ed and Lorraine explained that the entity was not merely attempting to cause fear or even to manifest physical attacks, its primary goal was to possess a human that shed a new light on the dangerous path that Donna, Angie, and Lou were walking. The attacks, the messages, the physical manifestation of the entity's presence, all these were just steps towards a much more horrifying endgame. The Warren's involvement expedited the process in the apartment. Something had to happen, and it had to happen quickly. It was no longer just about managing a haunted doll or pacifying a spirit. It was about protecting themselves from the possession. Now, the very attack on Lou, marked by the physical evidence of the Mark of the Beast, served as a testament to the demon's power as well as its intentions. They needed to sever the demon's attachment to the doll and by extension, to their home, and that required immediate and decisive measures. The rite of exorcism was meticulously performed by Father Cook. He moved from room to room, reciting the blessing, in hopes to get rid of the malevolent entity that had made itself known through the doll. Now, this act of faith was designed to reclaim the space. And after the blessing, there was a relief that swept through Donna, Angie, and Lou. But Donna, she had one more request of the Warrens. She still had something in her possession that she knew she couldn't keep. The Raggedy Ann doll. There was just too much history there. She recognized that despite the exorcism's blessing, the risk associated with keeping Annabelle was too great. The doll now a symbol of their ordeal, needed to be removed from their lives entirely. The Warrens, experienced in handling items of this nature, agreed to take Annabelle into their care, ensuring that the doll would be kept in a place where it could no longer pose a threat to anyone. Now, this decision marked the end of a chilling chapter in the lives of Donna, Angie, and Lou, but it also marked the beginning 
of Annabelle's chapter with the Warrens. As Ed Lorraine was about to head home with Annabelle, Ed securely locked the seatbelt, placing Annabelle in the back seat. They knew the potential for spirits to influence and disrupt electrical systems or even braking systems inside of a car. This isn't the first time that they're traveling with an item like this. To be safe, they traveled down back roads versus the much quicker highways. On the way home, they could feel the entity and anger, possibly a hatred towards them. The Warrens experienced in dealing with demonic entities were taught to recognize and heed these sensations. Understanding that they were not merely products of the imagination, but potentially warnings of the demon's plans, Ed took all the precautions while driving. And they encountered multiple mechanical issues during the drive. Everything from the car's power steering and brakes not working properly, which led to a loss of control and stalling. After things became too dangerous for Ed, he pulled over and used holy water and the sign of the cross to stop the immediate dangers. This gave them enough time to make it home safely. Once they got home, they decided to place Annabelle in Ed's office to make sure that she was kept and contained under the watchful eye of Ed. Now, Ed decided to place Annabelle on a chair next to his desk, seemingly safe, an ordinary spot within the room. As Ed turned to leave the room, something prompted him to look back at Annabelle. To his astonishment, he witnessed the doll levitating a few inches above the chair where he'd just placed her. This phenomenon lasted only a few seconds before Annabelle fell back to the chair. Ed remained in the room for a short while longer, just watching. But the doll remained still after the initial display of levitation. This incident was one of the first direct manifestations of the supernatural powers associated with Annabelle that the Warrens themselves witnessed firsthand. But this was not all the doll could do. On multiple occasions, the doll was known to teleport around the Warrens. It was as though the doll was attempting to get a reaction out of the Warrens. You see, the demonic feed off of fear. But this was the wrong house for that. The doll was ignored. Despite Ed and Lorraine's vast experience with paranormal phenomena, the behavior exhibited by Annabelle continued to challenge them. The doll's ability to levitate and a teleport, phenomena that they had witnessed within their own home, underscored the powerful malevolent force that they were dealing with. Now the Warrens, when they would be out of town, or if they would leave the house, would lock the doll in an external office, but somehow, Annabelle would always find her way back into the home, always bypassing locked doors and barriers. On a very unremarkable day, a carpenter arrived at the Warren's home, tasked with a seemingly easy job of building bookshelves. But this home, it was far from the ordinary, serving as a museum for objects with unsettling pasts, each with its own story of the supernatural. Now, as he worked, the carpenter found himself near Annabelle. Now, this time, Annabelle was not yet encased in the secure, custom-built cabinet, which would later become her permanent residence. Instead, she was placed in a less secure, temporary setting within the Warren's collection, still accessible and, as events would show, still a source of potent supernatural influence. Initially, the carpenter gave very little thought to the doll, 
But as the day progressed, a sense of unease began to develop within him. It was a feeling that seemed to grow whenever he was around Annabelle. The sensation of being constantly watched became too much for the carpenter to ignore. Overwhelmed and seeking relief, he approached Lorraine. He expressed his discomfort and he requested that Annabelle be moved away from his workspace. Now Lorraine, she understood the gravity of the request and the potential risk that was involved. She was hesitant. Moving Annabelle was not merely a matter of relocating a doll. It involved interacting with an object known to be a conduit of malevolent forces. Despite her reservations, Lorraine saw the genuine fear in the carpenter's eyes. With a mixture of compassion for him and a cautious respect for the entity attached to Annabelle, Lorraine agreed to move the doll. She did so with a deep awareness for the potential consequences, taking a moment to mentally prepare and offer a silent prayer for protection. And then there's the story of Father Bradford. Now, Father Bradford, he carried with him some sense of divine purpose, a steadfast belief in the power of his faith over any malevolent force. Now, Father Bradford's visit to the Warrens was not by chance. In the rain, they were renowned for dealing with the supernatural and had amassed a collection of items, each with their own stories of darkness and dread. But it was Annabelle that drew Father Bradford's attention. A doll that was said to be possessed by a demonic entity, responsible for terror and even physical harm. As the father approached Annabelle, she sat in her usual spot, an armchair that had become her throne within the dimly lit room of the museum. The room felt colder as he neared. A tangible shift in the atmosphere that would have sent chills down the spine of lesser men. But Father Bradford, he was undeterred. He reached out his hand, very steady, and lifted Annabelle from her seat. His voice, firm with conviction, broke the heavy silence. You're just a rag doll, Annabelle. You can't hurt anyone. With the flick of his wrist, he tossed the doll back into the chair. His actions had challenged the unseen entity lurking within. Ed witnessed the exchange. He inhaled sharply a mixture of respect and apprehension in his eyes. He knew well the capabilities of the force that they were dealing with. That's one thing you better not say, he muttered. A note of warning in his voice. He was aware of the potential consequences of provoking such a powerful presence. As Father Bradford prepared to leave, Lorraine, with a sense of foreboding, urged caution. Be careful driving home. The roads had a way of bending unpredictably in the shadows of unseen forces, and the Warrens, they had been experienced enough to know the dangers that lay in wait. Father Bradford, though, with a smile of reassurance, dismissed the concerns, his car a mere vessel that would carry him safely home. Lorraine insisted, You better call me when you get home. He finally agreed to, he had a little bit of humor in his voice, and a hint, if anything, of concession in his nod. Now the night, he claimed its silence back as Father Bradford departed. His car disappeared down the lane. Hours passed. A stretch of time that felt longer with the weight of worry. Then, when the phone finally rang, Lorraine's heart clenched. Father Bradford's voice, shaken but alive, relayed the night's fearful events. There was a crash. A moment of terror. 
and the unexplainable failure of his brand new car's brakes at the most critical of times. The car was a wreck, completely totaled, a mangled testament to his miraculous survival, and in the fleeting moments just before the impact, a reflection in the rearview mirror, Annabelle's eyes just watching. And then there was the case of the homicide detective. He was there consulting with the Warrens on a case. And after that meeting, he just had to see all the haunted artifacts. The very second that he looked at the doll, he was mesmerized. He told Ed that he couldn't take his eyes off of her, almost as though she was drawing him in. Ed left the room. He had to take a call. But before he left, he warned the detective, do not touch anything. But within a few moments, here came the detective. He ran into the room, shaking, trying to catch his breath. Ed said that he would call the ambulance, but he said no. He stopped him. He said that he was okay, but he didn't want to talk about it. But Ed knew exactly what had happened. Now, after this incident, the detective ended up quitting his job at the police department and moving across the country. The Warren's decision to secure Annabelle within a very specifically designed case reflected their understanding of the risks associated with the doll, and by incorporating elements of their faith, such as the holy water, holy oil, and prayers carved directly into the wood, they created not just a physical barrier, but a spiritual one as well. The inclusion of the Lord's Prayer and the St. Michael's Prayer was a deliberate choice invoking divine protection against the malevolent forces believed to be at work. The Occult Museum, a repository of various objects with supernatural histories attached to their home, became Annabelle's final residence. The warning sign? Positively, do not open. Served as a reminder of the dangers possessed by the dolls, underscored by the surrounding array of holy objects. Now, even with all these protections, there's still risks. A young man with his girlfriend stood before the glass case that housed Annabelle. When Ed narration reached the story of Annabelle, the young man just couldn't help himself. He laughed. A sound out of place in the gallery of the occult. Skepticism deep within his eyes as he listened to the warnings issued by Ed. The stories of harm that had befallen those who had underestimated the doll's power before. Now, despite the gravity in which Ed spoke, the young man saw an opportunity to show off. A chance to assert his disbelief. With a recklessness fueled by skepticism, the young man banged on the glass. Taunting Annabelle, daring the entity within to prove its power by marking him as it had marked others. Now, Ed's response, it was swift and decisive, recognizing the potential danger, not just to the young man, but to everyone that was present. He escorted the young man and his girlfriend out of the museum. The seriousness of this act, the violation of the respect of the forces contained within Annabelle, was not lost on Ed. As the couple left, the young man's parting words, a challenge thrown carelessly into the air, it hung ominously. The day faded into night. The young man and his girlfriend, still struck by disbelief and, if anything, adrenaline from their earlier defiance, continued down the road. Their conversation light 
and mocking, revolving around the events in the museum, a shared moment of rebellion against tales that deemed too fantastical to be true. But the road, indifferent to human skepticism, became the stage of a tragic fulfillment of the Warren's warnings. In an instance, he lost control of the motorcycle. Once a symbol of freedom and escape, became an agent of fate. It veered off the road, striking a tree with devastating force. The young man, he was killed on impact. His life extinguished in a moment of unforeseen violence. His girlfriend, though, she survived, but was left with injuries that would be with her for the rest of her life. The news of the accident reached the Warrens, a grim confirmation of the dangers that they had so long been cautious against. Now, the tale of Annabelle has captivated many, blurring the lines between historical accounts, personal beliefs, as well as entertainment. The 2020 rumor of Annabelle's escape from the Warren's Occult Museum served as a testament to the public's appetite for the supernatural. Now, Tony, the current caretaker of the museum, he debunked that very rumor very quickly. For some, it's better to know than to hope. Now, the belief in the paranormal, including the specific nature of Annabelle's existence, whether as a conduit to like a demonic entity or the misunderstanding of a spirit, that varies widely. Some might see Annabelle's story as a cautionary tale about the dangers of underestimating the spiritual realm, while others may view it as an intriguing piece of paranormal folklore. I guess ultimately, the story of Annabelle like many tales of the supernatural, invites reflection on the mysteries that lie just beyond the bounds of scientific explanation. Also, the links in which people are willing to go to make sense of the unknown. From a simple birthday gift to a centerpiece of supernatural lore, Annabelle's story weaves through the human experience of fear, curiosity, and the desire to understand what lies beyond the sight. Is Annabelle merely an object of fabric and stuffing? Or does she house something far more sinister? A demon? Or the spirit of Annabelle Higgins herself? I want to thank everyone for joining me on this exploration. As we close this chapter, let's ponder the mysteries that remain locked away, not just within Annabelle's glass case, but within our own beliefs and our own experiences. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate the podcast wherever you're listening and follow us on the YouTube machine. Also, check out another podcast that I co-host with my friend Nick called Deceptive Reality, where every single week we look at a different mystery that kind of makes us question, what is really real? Until next time we see each other, keep your curiosity alive and your spirit brave. This is Bert signing off. Goodbye. Creepy boys.